This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We turn to the Word of God now, and this morning in our series in the book of Acts, we have reached Acts chapter 10. Last time out, we heard of the conversion of Saul, uh, and how his life was dramatically changed, and an enemy and persecutor of the church suddenly became uh, a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Acts chapter 9 finishes, the focus shifts away from Saul onto Peter. He heals a man called Ananias. And he heals a lady called Dorcas who has died. He raises her from death. And then in Acts chapter 10 as it opens we meet a Gentile man by the name of Cornelius. He is a Roman centurion but he is a man who fears the Lord. We pick the story up this morning in Acts chapter 9. uh, Or sorry apologies. Acts chapter 10 verse 9. That's where we reach the story. And Peter receives a strange vision. So we're in Acts chapter 10, verse 9 onwards, and this is the word of God. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and a great thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I too I'm a man. And as he talked with him, 
He went in and found many persons gathered and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. By the grace of God in just three years time, our church fellowship in Eden Grove is going to celebrate its 250th birthday. We started in 1774, two years older than the United States of America. And at times throughout our history, we've had our divisions. We once upon a time split into second and third Balnehinch, arguing over a minister. Imagine! But thankfully, as of today, we are one church called Eden Grove and we continue that gospel witness that has been going on now for almost 250 years. We're incredibly thankful for that. And in a couple of years, we will celebrate it and rejoice before the Lord and thank him for his faithfulness and look forward, we pray, 
to a future where the gospel will continue to echo in Balnehinch coming from the Eden Grove pulpit. But if we could go back in time to Balnehinch back then, back in the day when our forefathers were planting a church called Eden Grove, I think one thing that we could say about them was that as they planted that church, every single one of them, I imagine, was a Gentile. Now you might think that's a strange point to make, but actually when we get into the book of Acts today, we will see it as a hugely significant thing. When Pentecost happened, the gospel is preached to a gathering of Jewish men who hear the gospel in their own languages, and they believe it and they receive it. But the gospel isn't just for the Jew. The gospel is for the Jew and the Gentile. And the gospel was commanded by Jesus to be preached to the ends of the earth in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, in our little church in Balnehinch, we are included in that, the ends of the earth. We are a gathering of men and women from a Gentile, not Jewish background, who have received Christ by faith. And today, just as we have believed the gospel, so we preach the gospel and we continue to try to make Christ known in this district. It is so wonderful to understand that. Because a hugely significant day comes in Acts chapter 10. For a day has arrived where Peter will preach the gospel to the Gentiles and they will believe it. Without this day, there would have been no church in Balnehinch. Without the gospel leaving Jerusalem and going to the Gentile nations, there wouldn't have been a church even on this island of ours. Even over in the mainland, America, Africa, Asia, without this day, with the gospel going to the Gentiles, you and I would still be in darkness without God and without hope in this world. But thanks be to God for the gospel left Jerusalem and is going and has gone to the ends of the earth. As we get into this passage, a little bit of the background first. At the end of Acts chapter 9, we meet someone called Aeneas. He is a man who has been bedridden for eight years, Acts 9 and verse 33. But Peter comes to him, tells him that Jesus Christ heals him, and immediately he gets up and rises from his bed. Later in Acts 9 and verse 36, we meet a woman called Tabitha, also known famously as Dorcas. She has died. But Peter once more comes in verse 40. He gets down beside her, prays, turns to the body and says, Tabitha, arise. And she opens her eyes. She sees Peter, sits up. And this woman has been raised again from the dead. Extraordinary. And what is going on as the scene shifts away from Saul and moves back to Peter? What is going on is that Peter is now being used by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He goes to Gentile districts. He goes to Gentile areas. He preaches the gospel and it is authenticated by signs and wonders, by the healing of a bedridden man and by the raising from the dead of this woman called Dorcas. And as Acts chapter 10 begins, if we've already touched briefly on Gentile areas, we now arrive in the town named after Caesar himself, a predominantly Gentile town and we meet a Gentile man by the name of Cornelius. The scriptures tell us 
that Cornelius feared God. Now later in this passage we will see that it's much later that Cornelius comes to true saving faith. There's a moment in today's passage where Cornelius, Cornelius even tries to worship Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 don't do that. I'm a man just like you. But Cornelius fears God nevertheless. Still to come to full saving faith in Jesus. But he is a man who we are told feared the Lord. His household did as well, verse 2. He gave alms generously to the people. He gave money to the people. And he prayed continually to God. And it was by the prayers of this God-fearing man that the Lord was to move. The Lord comes uh, to uh, Cornelius by way of an angel. Verse 3 tells us that and the angel speaks and says, Cornelius. And verse 4, he stared at the angel in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to Cornelius, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Brothers and sisters, if we ever have lost the will when it comes to prayer, if we ever question the, the, the need for it, the, the power of it, then we look at a passage like this. A God-fearing man who is praying to a Lord who he is yet to know fully and yet providentially the Lord takes those prayers and uses them to bring Peter up to Caesarea to preach the gospel. Brothers and sisters, our God is a God who uses means to bring about his purposes. He uses the ordinary means of the local church to build up us in the faith. He uses the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He uses prayer and he uses the reading and especially the preaching of the word to strengthen us in our faith. The Lord God Almighty uses means to bring his purposes to pass. And here we see the gospel about to come to the Gentiles by the means of an answered prayer of a Gentile man. Cornelius was obviously a good man. He was a centurion, boys and girls. I asked you earlier on, what job did Cornelius do? How did he pay the bills? How did he put bread on the table? Cornelius was a centurion. He was in charge of a, a group uh, of men, a hundred men, known as the Italian cohort in verse 1. And therefore, as a centurion, boys and girls, as a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred other Roman soldiers, he would have been a man of good respect, integrity, good moral uprightness, he was a decent fella. And yet he understood that there was a Lord, a God greater than him and he was seeking after the Lord. The Spirit was at work in this man's life. And soon Cornelius, the Roman centurion, his prayer was going to be answered. The next day, verse 9 tells us, as the man who Cornelius had sent to bring Simon Peter to Caesarea were on their journey, Peter was up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He was hungry and he wanted something to eat. And so whilst it was being prepared, he fell into a trance, verse 10. And he saw something incredibly strange. Boys and girls, I asked you to, to draw a picture of this. So, so listen up. What was it that Simon Peter saw in his trance as he was praying up on the rooftop to the Lord? Here's what the Bible says. He fell into a trance and boys and girls, he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet 
coming down from heaven, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So boys and girls, the heavens opened and there was something like a great sheet coming down and it was let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in this great sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Boys and girls, a really strange thing. A huge sheet coming down from heaven by the four corners and filled with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Very quickly, we see what the Lord is up to. In verse 13, there comes a voice to Peter and says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now for you and I, perhaps as Gentiles, Balnahinch, Gentiles, not from a Jewish background, but from a Gentile background. For you and I, such a command would not be problematic at all. We rise, we eat, we, we don't think much about it. We might pray and thank God for the chicken, for the pork, for the bacon, for whatever it might even be. We wouldn't think much about it. But for Peter, this was an extraordinary moment. Peter was a man who was a devout Jew coming from a Jewish background, born and reared in the Jewish faith, knowing the God Almighty, and now coming to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel. But this for Peter was extraordinary. And he says to the Lord, by, by no means, verse 14, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. In other words, says Peter, Lord, I have kept all of your dietary laws that we, we see in the Old Testament. I have taken them seriously. I have not uh, eaten anything that is called unclean in your word. So Peter is taking the word of God seriously. Peter is taking the commandments of God seriously. And Peter is keeping himself separate from anything that has been declared unclean in the Old Testament. You might say that Peter's not doing anything wrong here. But the day of change has come. The Lord speaks and tells him in verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. There's a radical change that is happening. The Lord is moving and the gospel is going to the Gentiles, to those considered unclean, to those considered common and uncouth. And outside the commonwealth of Israel, the gospel is going to places where previously it had not gone. And so now the Lord comes and says to Peter, have a look at these animals, rise, kill and eat. Peter says, we're told three times, Lord, I won't do this. I've never eaten anything like this, anything common or unclean. Not me, Lord. And the Lord says, no, Peter, do not call anything common that I have made clean. The dietary laws in the Old Testament were given to God's people to clearly delineate them and, and differentiate them from the pagans around them. And yet they had come to misunderstand them. In Mark chapter 7, uh, we see a similar thing and we shouldn't believe that this is exactly brand new because the Lord Jesus Christ has already taught on this. In Mark 7 verse 1, we read, that when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of Christ's disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. So these Pharisees and these Jews also held to the traditions passed down to them from their elders. But they had missed the point of these traditions. These, point, these traditions were not a means to an end. They weren't a means to, to save these men. They weren't a means to make them more holy and, and better than those around them. These laws were put in place to show that God's people were to be separate from the pagan nations around them. But these men had trusted in them and forgotten that God is more concerned about the heart and not the hand. Jesus said to them in verse 6, of Mark chapter 7. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, for as it is written, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, says Jesus, and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus' point was clear. That those of you holding to these dietary laws and dietary requirements, well, you have missed the point here. The Lord is concerned about your heart. Mark 7 and verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Verse 19. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So again, the Jews, the Pharisees, and, and here even Peter, believing that they must stick rigidly to these dietary requirements, were missing the point somewhat. It was about the heart, not what food was going into the mouth. It was about the heart where this wickedness would come. And the gospel came to deal with that heart issue. The gospel is not a list of rules and regulations. That was temporary and has passed away and it was never meant to save but to separate the people of God from the pagans around them but now says Jesus and later in Peter's vision the Lord has declared all things good. Brothers and sisters sometimes as Christians we will get it in the neck about lobster. We will hear people saying oh you Christians are hypocrites because you say this one thing but you still all eat lobster. I know why people say that. They say it out of ignorance. They say it out of not understanding the scriptures and they throw it at us as if it's the, the argument that defeats all arguments. But here in this book today in Acts chapter 10 in this grand vision of Peter's, we see the truth. We're not to make anything common, call anything common what God has made clean. We're not to have these dietary laws and requirements and, and put them as a standard that says these make us more holy than the average scumbag around us. Do not call common what God has made clean. Peter didn't quite get this. 
He is perplexed, verse 17, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. But at that stage, Cornelius's men come. They go to the door, they make an inquiry, they want to know, is Peter there? And indeed, Peter is there. And the Spirit comes to Peter, verse 19, and says, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And so Peter goes to these men and they explain who it was that sent them, verse 22. Cornelius, a centurion, boys and girls, do you remember? A centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, well spoken by the whole Jewish nation. He has been directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so, trusting the voice of the Holy Spirit, Peter goes. And again, brothers and sisters, we need to understand the scale of this. Peter is going with Gentiles to the house of a Gentile. Peter is leaving behind a place that perhaps he is familiar, a crowd of listeners who perhaps are, are part of the gang, and he is going to a foreign land. He is boldly going where the gospel has not yet gone before. So Peter goes, taking these extraordinary steps, and he meets Cornelius, verse 25, who falls before Peter and worships. And of course, Peter stands him up and says, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. But by the time we reach verse 28, the penny drops with Peter. For he says to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection and I asked them why you sent for me. Cornelius tells him what has happened. Cornelius explains in verse 30 that an angel has visited him. And told him that his prayers have been answered and that Peter is to come. And now Cornelius says, getting right to the point in verse 33, I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius wants the gospel. He wants to hear what this Peter has to say. But Peter has made it clear this is extraordinary. Because previously it was unlawful for me to come to this place. It was unlawful for me to spend time in your house. Unlawful for me to eat the food that you will put on the table. This is extraordinary. The Lord is doing something radical here. But let's hear again what he has said in verse 28. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. As Peter preaches, he underlines that again in verse 34. Peter opens his mouth and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Truly I get it, says Peter, that with the Lord there, is, there are no favourites. That I could go north, south, east and west. But truly I understand that in every nation, verse 35, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Extraordinary. 
the Jewish believers had seen the gospel going forward and they had seen the Samaritans receiving it and the Spirit falls upon the Samaritans and they can't believe this. And we have heard how the gospel goes to Ethiopia because Philip preaches the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. These are extraordinary days, but if you were already astounded coming out of that Jewish background, this day is going to blow your socks off. Because Peter preaches the gospel. In these verses he, he speaks of all that happened throughout Judea. Beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And Peter says in verse 39 that we are witnesses of what he had done. Uh, amongst the Jews and in Jerusalem. They tried to kill Jesus by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear to us as his witnesses. And we have been commanded to preach the gospel. And in verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter preaches the gospel and he preaches it in a Gentile home, headed up by a Gentile centurion, full of Gentile people who previously were considered by Peter to be unclean along with the food on their table. But even now in verse 44, as Peter said these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentile. And those from a Jewish background with Peter, verse 45, were amazed. Because even the Gentiles were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Cornelius and his household were baptised and Peter was to stay with them for some days. But the gospel has come to the Gentile nations. The Spirit has fallen upon the Gentiles. And today as men and women from a Gentile background, we rejoice. Paul would write about this. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, or in other words, those who consider themselves to be clean, call you unclean, circumcision made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and were without God in the world. Here is the Gentile condition. Here is, here is what we were. As men and women from a Gentile background, Paul hits a nail on the head as, as a man who was a devout Jew himself. He says, once upon a time, you were miles away. You had no hope. You didn't have the Lord. You knew nothing of the gospel. You not, knew nothing of the covenant of grace. But Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He has abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, 
so making peace, reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Brothers and sisters, as we read those familiar verses in Ephesians 2, I pray they will humble us, lost in this world as Gentiles with no clue about the Lord. But now we have been found, lost in this world as Gentiles with no clue of God's covenant of grace, but now we have been found. The gospel has gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and now to the ends of the earth. Cornelius and his household were to believe and all these years later in our wee fellowship, nearly 250 years old, we have believed too. Men and women saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there is only one church. Jesus did not die for people groups with different gospels for each of them and different churches for each of them Jesus died for the one body the church he has killed the hostility between Jew and Gentile he has laid down his life as a ransom for many and boys and girls I asked you a question how is anybody to be saved whether it is you or your granny or your uncle or your auntie or people in Africa or people in China or people in Australia or in Peru and South America or on some little island in the middle of the ocean. How is anybody to be saved? Maybe they're coming from a Jewish background, a Gentile background, a Muslim background, a background where they don't believe anything about any God. How are any of these people to be saved? Boys and girls, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Here is the gospel. And it is a gospel that saves anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there is one church. Paul speaks about it in Romans 11 as the one olive tree. He speaks of the trespass of the Jews. And through that, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous he speaks that we were wild branches and the natural branches on the olive tree were broken off and you and I were grafted on if this is true as it surely is then then there is no room for arrogance in the church of Jesus Christ there is no room for us to to snub our nose at the Jews who don't get Jesus and who have rejected Jesus there is no room for us to do that because as Paul says, if the natural branches were broken off, then you can be broken off too. We, we remain focused on Christ with no arrogance or pride, rejoicing in the fact that we have been grafted onto the olive tree of God, Jew and Gentile, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if we do not believe that the Jews are saved just in the same way as you and I, then remember that in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, men and women from a Jewish background constantly are described with these two words, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. From the beginning of time, men, women and children have been saved. And there were Gentile men, women and children saved before these days in Acts chapter 10. 
but in a greater way, a bigger way, a more extraordinary way, the gospel was going into the Gentile world and breaking down barriers and reaching the furthest corners of this earth. And it continues to this day. Thanks be to God for 250 years in our little Gentile church. But thanks be to God for the gospel of grace and the covenant of grace which extends way far back beyond time itself. We rejoice in the gospel that saves even those like us, once considered common and unclean. Brothers and sisters, what do we do with this passage? Firstly, I think we use it to chase away any arrogance that we might have. I remember as a foolish young man having no clue and I said stupid things like God's a prod. I saw it written on a gable wall somewhere and I thought it sounded good and I thought I would say it. May the Lord forgive us our foolishness. May he forgive us our arrogance. May we be men and women whose hearts break for the Jewish nation which largely today has rejected Christ and still rejects Christ. May we pray for the salvation of the Jews. May we read Romans 11 and see the, the mystery of salvation that will come to Israel. We believe that all of Israel will be saved. And that means that the church of Jesus Christ, the true Israel of God, made up of Gentile and Jew, will be brought in. We should be much in prayer for the Jewish people. We should be much in prayer for the natural branches who have been broken off. We should pray that the Lord would work and open their eyes so that they might see Jesus. So we chase away arrogance and we pray for the Jews. But brothers and sisters, we reflect on the fact that Christ, by his blood, has destroyed the dividing line of hostility. Consider our churches today. Consider who we are and what we do and consider the traditions of men that we perhaps have placed in our churches that are a hindrance to those who we are trying to reach. If Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, then shame on us if we have tried to build a new wall. Brothers and sisters, we live in a divided land. We live in a land where the majority of people on this island have not heard the gospel. We have failed to take the gospel to our neighbours. We have failed to seek to plant churches all over this island. We have failed on this island to take the gospel of grace to those all around us. And at times, especially up in this part of the country, what have we done? At times we have wrapped the gospel up in a lovely little flag and we have said that, that the gospel is for this group and this group only. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord forgive us. And may the Lord open our eyes to see the traditions that we have built, the dividing walls of hostility that we have built. And may he have give us the courage to tear them down to the ground. The gospel is not just for the whites, the prods, the Catholics, the Muslims, the Asians, the Africans, the Americans, 
the Jews, the Gentiles. It's not just for one select group. The gospel is for all who will believe. Regardless of skin colour. Regardless of ethnic and cultural background. Regardless of who your dad was and what school you went to or what flag you like to salute. The gospel is for all who will believe. To the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. And so, brothers and sisters, may the Lord help us to love our neighbour. May the Lord forgive us the times that we have been racist or sectarian, or we have shunned someone because they're not quite like us. And may we remember, ultimately, that the only colour that counts is the one that we talked about at the start of our service. Though your sins be scarlet, they will be made white as snow. The gospel does that. And by repentance and faith in Jesus, all who call upon him will be saved.